0: This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity.
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for episode 71 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. We've got a special episode of the Recorded Future podcast for you this week. Stéphane Trouvet, Recorded Future's CTO and co founder, returns to the show to lead a conversation with our guest, Rolf Rosenvinge. Rolf is CEO of RCG Cyber Insights, a Stockholm-based cybersecurity management consulting firm. He shares his views on the state of cybersecurity in the EU, the effects GDPR is having, the evolving relationship between the CTO, CISOs, and boards, and the role of threat intelligence as we look toward the future. Stay with us.
2: Today, we're joined by Rolf Rosenvinge, who's the CEO of RCG Cyber Insights, and that's a cyber boutique focusing on cyber program development for large clients, but uh, they're also working and supporting cyber startups and scale apps. So thanks for joining us, Rolf. And uh, please, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about your background.
0: Well, first of all, thank you, Stefan, and uh, thank you for having me on on this podcast. I think it's great. Uh, So thanks for that. So um, I started off basically with serving uh, in the Swedish Armed Forces as an officer for 15 years, where seven and a half of those were in in our uh, uh, Taiwan Special Operations Units, where I I spent a lot of time on developing our intelligence operations capabilities, and uh, this was basically during a time when when Sweden was uh, deploying a lot of forces to Afghanistan in support of the US uh, post 9-11 efforts. And uh, coming out of service, uh, I, I, I spent approximately seven and a half years also for, for GE, uh, building uh, global security programs and, and working as a CISO for GE money, uh, GE money in the Nordics. Um, and then ending up uh, working in London uh, at the time when G Capital was a systemically important financial institution and covering EMEA and aspect regions a lot of travel during that period but great fun and uh, then uh, I moved over to PwC and, and and worked for the Swedish firm where I as a partner uh, built the, uh, the Swedish firm's uh, cyber practice uh, which was also great fun but uh, as of a couple of months back i'm I'm, I'm now heading up uh, RCG cyber insights and uh, it's it's great. Uh, allows me to move more around, more freely around all the spaces where I find it really interesting to be. You know, I can play both in the private equity uh, space, but also in the, as you mentioned, in the startup scale up uh, community.
2: Uh, but still, continue to serve la- large clients. Uh, so that's great. Yeah, I mean, with, with your perspective, you know, having worked both uh, all over Europe and in Middle East, you know, I think the the, the obvious first question is. You know, how do you see the the cybersecurity space evolving in EMEA now and and what makes it different from the rest of the world? Yeah, I think that's a a great
0: question and uh, not an easy one to answer, but uh, still a great question. So I think one of the, the, the core components of understanding cyber is that you have to understand digital. Uh, so our societies at the moment you know across EMEA and, and basically uh, across the the globe, it's going through massive change. Digitalization is going so fast. It's not all nation states, it's not uh, all enterprises really taking, the impact of this on board. And I spent a lot of time during the last couple of years working with boards and executive management teams. Right? And, and, you know, these are really, really smart people, but they are business people. And and what's intuitive for us as cyber practitioners may not, you know, be as intuitive for them as, as business people. So I, I think there's a lot of the responsibility of kind of giving the context and the background, you know, that lies on us as cyber practitioners. And uh, Maybe to circling in a little bit about your question, I, I think generally speaking, the US has probably moved faster on these issues, be, probably because they had to. And I think yeah, this is really starting to pick up in, in EMEA now. I think UK is obviously leading the way, uh, but also some other uh, other nations around EMEA is, is, is picking up uh, speed relatively quickly. But I, I do think that the EMEA region as a whole, if you can assess it as a whole, which is on on one hand very difficult, but it's still lagging a little bit in uh, when you compare it to the US.
2: When you say a little bit there, I, I sometimes, sometimes say that I think you know we're maybe four or five years behind. Do you think that's fair or are we catching up?
0: No, I think it's fair. Uh, I, I do think it's fair. Uh, I don't think
2: uh, it's
0: it isn't that easy to assess EMEA as, as one because it's it varies actually a lot. I, I think the UK is definitely in front. I think the UK is probably on par with with the US, and uh, at least that's my experience from having working, you know, for GE and, and and other clients later on and, and you know working both in the US and, and in, in the UK. Uh, then there are some other countries like the Baltic countries, you know, very close to Russia and, and you know R- Russia basically having had those as their training ground. So, so some of them are actually uh, like estonia for example is actually pretty advanced at this point but but overall i i i would say that you're absolutely right i, I think it's fair to say that on an overall basis uh EMEA is probably four or five years behind the us
2: and, and it's interesting of course the fact that you said that there's different maturity in different parts um this makes me think of one thing we had a, a big uh, sort of scandal here in, in sweden happening last year i think it was when when one of the government agencies outsourced a lot of their very sensitive operations and that ended up somewhere in eastern europe you know and people were upset about that what do you think about that and uh, about people in general outsourcing but in particular to countries who who might have sort of a dubious reputation
0: yeah I, I, and i think you, you're right and it's it's I think it's a reflection of of what I tried to, to to outline earlier that you know people are are really pushing for going digital and and they want to do all these you know second waves of outsourcing, which is of course from a business perspective makes perfect sense, right? And and generally I'm I do think it's the right thing to do because the businesses needs needs that, but but you still have to really take on board what you're actually doing and and hold up that up against the the cyber perspective. And uh, yeah, and you're right It There was a massive debate here in Sweden uh, after that issue last year. And, and I think that the, the biggest question is probably, so have, have everyone learned the lessons to be learned? And I'm not so sure. And, uh, I'm, you know, we're working with some clients today, just finishing a, a security operations center, uh, helping them implement that. And, and, you know, even in that discussion, one year after that, that big debate we had, you know, some of the lessons are, are still on the table to be picked up really and in terms of should you really buy your security operations center service from your infrastructure provider it's probably not a good idea right so you, you and you have to really work with the incentives to get them right and typically uh, having the the watcher in the same in the same pocket as as, as you do with your infrastructure providers it it's, may not be a good thing and if you really need to do it anyway you need to make sure that you have the right remediation and compensating controls in place and so i still think there's a lot of work to do across the emea region in this uh, you know in this outsourcing context
2: in general what's your sort of short list of of key things to think about when you talk to your clients about how to solve or handle the, the big cyber challenges yeah, so, so I think, and, and, you know, to your
0: question, right, it's, it, it often starts exactly the way you phrased it, that, so how, how do we solve cyber? And I'm not really sure, given the, 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 the pace of, of how fast the businesses are transformation, or transforming that, that you actually can solve it, but I, but I do still, it's, uh, you can control it. Um, and I think there are a couple of things. And, and I think, first of all, it's really important to, to understand your business environment, and not just the macroeconomics of, of things, but also more specifically around cyber. You know, what are the threat actors that are relevant for your business, your industry, and region? I think a lot of of clients have a lot of of ground to cover to, to really understand the, their business environment. And I think the importance of threat intelligence will on, only uh, only increase over a period of time. And secondly, of course, uh, you know, you do still need to understand your uh, your IT estate it's it's boring but it's still true and then you have to understand all the vulnerabilities you're carrying and you have to mitigate as fast as you can but prioritize based on on knowledge acquired you know during your threat intelligence efforts and uh, then of course identity and access management, right? The more you open up for collaboration, the more important it becomes that you actually understand who's on the other side of things, right? So identity and access management is has been truly important for a long time, but then remains important. And third-party risk, uh, right? I I think it's it's also that's it's not very sexy. It's it's super hard work, and it's really difficult to actually do it, you know, beyond the the initial Excel uh, spreadsheets and and questionnaires, but to really control third-party risk. Because you see, when you look at a lot of the the large-scale incidents just, you know, uh, over the last couple of years, you see there is often that indirect approach. And and of course, there there is that for a reason. So you, you attack someone else to get to the ultimate target, right? And uh, so to uh, so really control 3rd party risk is, is gonna be essential going forward. And, and finally, I think a lot of clients, uh, when, when we look at their programs, they've, they've spent a lot of time and effort and money on, on, on protect. If you think about the NIST frameworks, five key capabilities where you have, in, you know, identify, protect, detect, respond and recover. Uh, and, you know, I think the importance of detect and respond is just increasing. Uh, but you ha- you have to understand what you're looking for. And, and again, right, I do think threat intelligence, the importance of that is just going to increase. And But those are basically five things where I think we have a lot of conversations right now in, in EMEA and, and with our clients.
2: How about uh, the relationship uh, with the, the law enforcement agencies? How good are the national law enforcement agencies in supporting? companies and uh, what do you see happening on the sort of pan-European side? There? Are you doing anything, for example?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And I, and I do think, you know, yes, there are a lot of initiatives going on and I'm picking up speed at the moment, but there's definitely more to, do, to be done. And, um, and I think, you know, coming back to so can cyber be solved? No, but it can be controlled. But one way of controlling it also to really increase the, the private pub, public cooperation efforts here because I, I don't think that government agencies can solve this alone and, and the business environment can definitely not solve it alone, but it's but it's really through both interagency cooperation but also through uh, private public cooperation and and the increase of such. Uh, I, I think it's the only way to really move this forward.
2: So so sticking to the EU for a bit, of course, you know, this has been the, the big year of GDPR. And people have vastly different opinions about that: whether it's going to increase security or whether some of the restrictions that would mean that it will be harder for security researchers to do their job. What's your opinion? What's in the balance here?
0: Yeah, I think I think overall, you know, I, I think GDPR has been great for security in in the EU. Because it's, it's been um, yet another vehicle to get our issues on the table with senior executives and, and really on the board's agenda. And, and of course, it's, you know, that's tied to the penalties uh, of 4% of, of global revenue and, and all that stuff. But but once you get past that, because that, that tends to be the first uh, conversation you're having with the board. But once you get past that and you really get the chance to sit down with them and talk about, you know, it's it's a data protection regulation for a reason and implied with that also comes that you have to have a security program in place and then it has to be fit for purpose because from a storytelling perspective you there is there is no chance of winning a, a conversation with the regulator if, if you know you have spent all the time in the world and all the money in the world to just you know focus on the on delivering on the so-called data subject rights, you know, the right to be forgotten, et cetera. But, but if, you, if you haven't spent the time on actually uh, protecting the data, you know, it's a it's, it's no-win uh, conversation with the regulators. So overall, I, I do think GDPR has, has helped getting this even further up on the agenda for the, for the boards and the executive management teams.
2: Turning a bit to another question, which is always intriguing, is you know the professional roles here, and and uh, curious to hear your view on how the CISO ro- role is evolving, and is the CISO role for a typical European company the same as, for example, an American company, as you see it?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a great question, right? And I actually wrote a piece just uh, just the other week here on on the CISO versus CSO dilemma right because typically in EMEA the CISO role is, is still relatively new and, and a lot of a lot of companies are actually struggling to find seasoned and business uh, savvy CISOs to to fill those roles and um, that's that's a problem in itself right and some of the some of the big banks are actually recruiting divisional cios to the ciso roles because they they need someone more you know used to the c suite exposure but i also think you know there is still this dilemma you know do we really need parallel teams do we need a corporate security team and a c- it security team when everyone in the business is going digital and and i th- i see a lot of of companies still struggling with that question and and uh, a lot of large even large organization where where you have those parallel teams actually competing for the same bandwidth and and the same resources and everything so when i look at the me and, and try and compare it to my experience from the, from the u.s I, I still think that the, you know the, what stated earlier here that we are lagging four or five years and and when i look at Typically at at American CISOs and where they report into the organization and what type of program they're running, it tends to be that more still more mature. And uh, but I do think the Europeans are picking up. You know, it's you know we may we may have started uh, behind, but I, but I do think everyone is running extremely fast at the moment. And also you know evolving the CSO. And and I think there's a lot. Generally speaking, I, I think there's a lot of appetite within the boards to really listen to the CISO and, and what the CISO has have to tell them. So I think there's a great opportunity in a lot of the European companies right now for the CISOs to really step up to the decision making table and, you know, lay out the plan and say this is this is what we need to do. And I I do think most boards at this point, especially after the, the high profile attack last year, are really willing to listen.
2: Okay, so they do. The CISO do get access to to board levels, as you see it.
0: Yeah, increasingly so. Absolutely, and and uh, you know we do a lot of work in in, in that area. And, and typically, sometimes we come in and when the board asks us, so how how do we how do we solve or control the cyber? Right, and one of the first questions we always ask is, so, so, do you have a in place and have you actually listened to what he or she is actually trying to tell you? And and some of the problem or problem solving, if you like, actually often starts there. And you know get the people into the same room and, and and once you get them started talking you know you uh, you quite often find great interest from the boards at, at least that's my perspective at the moment so things are really picking up because it has been yeah. a problem up to this point
2: you mentioned that it was hard it's hard to find a good a good CISO but of course competence in general is very very hard in this business overall so what's your view there on on the European side again I mean what's but how how are we doing in terms of competence for all levels? And uh, assuming that there aren't enough people, as everyone says, what's happening? How are people trying to catch up?
0: No, I think very true uh, that you're pointing out. You know that there is there's definitely a. There's definitely going to be problem with talent acquisitions for because basically everyone is hiring at the moment. So the government agencies are hiring, uh, all the big uh, enterprises are definitely hiring, all the consulting firms are hiring, and there's simply not going to be enough practitioners around. Right? So uh, I, I do see a lot of large clients doing you know their own type of you know, boot camp sessions and stuff like that, and and I see a lot of universities trying to pull together uh, bachelor and master's programs uh, which is really good right but it's going to take take a little while it's going to take a couple of years to to get there so uh, so and at the same time the 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 need is is just vast at the moment right so so i I do think it's it's going to be hard work for for the ones of us around at this point but hopefully in a couple of years it's 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 better but it it takes time to build that experience also so yeah, I
2: think I we will to have to live with it, this for a couple of years. Yeah, um, as you said, I mean, so it's great that the universities are finally starting to 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 educate, but of course, it takes sort of three to five years for people to go through that education, and then they need to be on a job and gain the experience from real life. Exactly. As well. so, yeah. So it sounds like it's going to be like eight ten years before there's any chance of sort of backfilling the the the, the competence deficit, really. Yeah, I, I think you're right. So so we have hard work ahead, Staphan. Okay, well, that's good for all us in the business, I guess, in a way. So, you know, I wanted to wrap up with one final question since we are recorded future. After all, I'm, of course, very keen to hear what you, your view is on what are the most important, let's say, both threats and challenges for, let's say, the next three years or so. What's what's keeping you awake most, or what are you hoping? Well, uh,
0: great question and, and, and obviously not an easy one to just uh, answer, but I, I'm, I'm going to give it a try. So I do think from, from an industry perspective, I, I still think that the importance of threat intelligence is truly underestimated at this point. Uh, you know, I can say that from coming in from my own intelligence uh, background and meeting a lot of CISOs and very few of them, you know, as skilled as they are and, and really good in their roles but not many have that core intelligence background or, or, or skill set with them bringing so I, I do think uh, i do think there's a lot of of still explaining and and, and laying out the importance and, and what threat intelligence actually can do for you to start taking home some of the benefits because a lot of a lot of the programs historically built has been very you know basically you taking out the a standard, uh, whether it's the ISO standard or the NIST framework, some internal controls framework like COVID or whatever, and you start chasing a lot of stuff uh, to to green. But I, I do think the successful organizations going forward you know, will have to understand more about their business environment and threated intelligence is, is the vehicle for doing so. And I think the second part of your question was probably around so where, where do I see the threats coming from in, in the coming future? And I, I do think what worries me the most is, is definitely the uh, geopolitical tension which is on the rise uh, globally, uh, but it's definitely something that we feel also here in, in, in EMEA and, and especially here I, I guess in the Nordics countries because you know after all we, we do have that proximity to, to Russia we, and they are extremely active, they are definitely not alone on, on the arena as, as you know far better than I probably. Uh, but we see a lot of increased activities from nation states and, and at the same time we are, we are still, you know, pacing ahead with, with digital and that ultimately that makes our societies even more vulnerable. And, and at some point, uh, I, I do think there is a risk for, for an escalating conflict scenario and criti- critical infrastructure will be at risk at some point when nation states are, are moving forward.
1: Our thanks to Rolf Rosenvinge for joining us, and of course to Stefan Truve from Recorded Future for handling the hosting duties this week. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web, cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.